Hello and good morning from Gainesville, Florida. I'm Edgar Chavero alongside my co-host Jonathan Acosta and this is the debut episode of the Spill the Cup podcast. We want to start this podcast in conjunction with the 2018 FIFA World Cup and we'll usually try to give you a weekly summary of this year's tournament from Russia as well as an in-depth analysis into the teams every country has taken and how they will fare throughout the coming months. What's up, Edgar? Uh, yeah, dude, I'm excited to get this thing started. I've had World Cup fever, you know, for about a month or so now. And just like with the World Cup, within our fingertips, I, I can't wait for it. So today we'll give our full list of power rankings for the tournament and predict who we both think will lift the trophy come July. I think we have a couple different opinions uh, on that question. And who exactly should U.S. soccer fans be rooting for in this tournament? So with that, I'll ask Jonathan. Jonathan, who do you think will be winning the World Cup? Well... Interesting you say that because heading into today, a lot of people, well, basically you have your big four. You have France, Germany, Spain, and Brazil. I was of the opinion Spain was going to win just because they have, in my opinion, the deepest roster, the most talented starting 11, and, and, then, net, and then a bomb fire came. And then a bomb fire came with the breaking news of Julian Lopetegui. Being, being fired, being fired on the eve of the World Cup. On the eve of the World Cup after taking the Madrid job i saw that he took the madrid job yesterday i was like okay that's kind of awkward timing we'll see how his players react we'll see if they can avoid that distraction instead the spanish federation comes and decides to make an even bigger distraction by firing their manager who the players they wanted him to stay the players wanted lopetegui because they hadn't lost in 20 games with lopetegui and then in comes fernando hierro um he's been with the with the national team for a while so it's a guy who already kind of knows what they're doing and in spain they have kind of everyone plays a similar brand of of football so that'll be interesting to see but i think you have to wonder what it does for the mentality of the players on the eve of the world cup two days before they play portugal they have their toughest game right off the bat that spain could not have any more adversity at a worse time but with all that being said i think if they can manage to kind of put all that aside win that game against Portugal and kind of get the ball rolling a little bit and just focus on the field, in my opinion, Spain is still the team to beat in this World Cup. And I agree with you, Jonathan. Spain's squad is easily one of the strongest squads. I love their defense. Uh, Sergio Ramos coming off his, uh, another Champions League victory. Their midfield is strong, but as well as creative uh, with the Madrid boys, with Isco and Asensio, as well as they have the steel there uh, in the midfield. They have the experience, Iniesta, David Silva, Sergio Busquets. It's a great. They have a lot of that spine left of the yeah. of the European World Cup European champions, and while while adding some nice uh, new pieces like like you mentioned, Asensio, even Diego Costa wasn't a part of those uh, three teams. So it'll be interesting to see how Spain kind of like misses the new with the old in this World Cup. Now the reason why I think Brazil is going to take the World Cup home is because the Brazilians have done a very nice job of transitioning into that new era of talent, bringing in probably one of the most prolific strikers already in Gabriel Jesus, and the kid's only you know, barely 20 years old. The new manager under Chicha, he's really made them very solid because Brazil always play an attacking style of, of, of football, but then what he's done is he's made that midfield very, very strong. Paulinho, Renato Augusto, Casemiro. That's not really the kind of midfield that Brazil had in the 2014 World Cup. And then even the, the back line wasn't as strong as they have right now. Obviously, they have, they have to deal with the loss of Dani Alves, but you still have Marcelo, you still have um, Miranda, Marquinhos, Felipe Luis. Felipe Luis is a very capable uh, 
back. Fagner's a very capable right back as well. And now, then obviously up top you have guys like Coutinho, Neymar, who will again be the star of the show. So this this individual Brazil squad, apart from not being with the pressure of being the host nation, they're anyways a lot more talented than that 2014 side was. You can't talk about Brazil without talking about the team that dominated them in 2014, and that's the German national team. Uh, I have them third in my team power rankings for the World Cup, and the reason why I, I don't have them any higher is because I think it's really hard, it's very hard to repeat a World Cup victory, and especially when they've, when they've lost a couple of key players, I think, in, in I think Leroy, in Leroy Sané, not taking him to the World Cup was a mistake. Um, Thomas Muller, while he's in the, in the squad, isn't the same player that he once was, and I think it'll be very tough for him to repeat his goal-scoring record of previous tournaments. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think the last team to win back-to-back World Cups was Brazil in the 58 and 62, if I'm not mistaken. So, in my opinion, this Germany team just seems a little older. They have they could have had again, like you said, bringing Leroy Sané would have injected some youth into it. Timo Werner will probably start up top, another young guy. But it just doesn't seem in 2014 there weren't like any like super big powerhouses, so you kind of just, like, take the Germans kind of by default almost. Right now, there's four solid teams that all are stacked in terms of talent, including Germany. So Germany it can't just win by default. Like, France won't be scared of Germany. France knocked them out in the Euros. Spain won't be scared of Germany. And Brazil certainly won't be scared of Germany. Actually, the opposite, they'll be looking for revenge. So I think I have Germany losing to Spain in the semifinals just because I think the goalkeeping matchup is a wash right there. But I think at every other level, um, Spain kind of has the, the talent to kind of outclass Germany in defense, the, the Barca-Madrid back line. In midfield, again, the creativity of guys like Iniesta and Silva, uh, in my opinion, outweigh. Cruz has kind of like lost a step. Ozil hasn't been performing the same for Arsenal. Germany just doesn't have that same kind of magnetic pull to you when you think of World Cup winner like they did in 2014. And I agree that Jogan loves the current structure of his squad. It's, it's going to place a lot of pressure on a lot of players. Like you said, Mesut Ozil has to perform. Uh, his recent performances with Arsenal haven't been up to par, uh, haven't been up to his usual performances uh, late in the season. Julian Draxler uh, was an outcast at Paris Saint-Germain, um, and, I, and I think he's, he's going to be tested in this World Cup because he's going to need to perform for them on that left-hand side. Uh, like we said, Thomas Muller is going to have to reproduce his, his World Cup goal status. Marco Royce, very talented guy, but we haven't seen him in a World Cup yet for Germany because he unfortunately suffering through injuries and all that stuff, so it remains to be seen how Marco Royce will perform for them. But I do think Royce, if... Germany is to win it. Royce will play a big part because he'll kind of be that new spark that they haven't had in. I, I agree. Cups. If, if if Germany are going to win this World Cup, they're going to have to get goals from the wide positions. They're going to have to get goals from their midfield. Uh, Leon Goretzka, Tony Kroos are really going to have to command that midfield. There's definitely a difference in Spain, Brazil, France, and Germany. Germany have always been sort of that that machine. They just know how to win. France, Spain, and Brazil they're kind of they're like the attractiveness. They're the flair. They're cheeky they kind of just play with the vibe you know what i'm talking about they play with the vibe and germany doesn't have like any players that are like are gonna just like make that flashy highlight play like for example on france mbappe and dembele on spain obviously the midfielders brazil neymar and coutinho germany doesn't have that they're like the team it's funny that you bring up france there uh we talk about two more teams rounding rounding out our top five uh, i think we both have france and belgium and with France, I think they have so much attacking talent entering this World Cup, so much. But I think there's so much pressure. There's going to be so much pressure 
on either Antoine Griezmann or Kylian Mbappe to really lead that front line and get get up in the conversation for the golden boot in this World Cup. I think that's why it's important to see if Deschamps plays Giroud up top because if he does play Giroud up top, it allows Griezmann to be a little bit behind Giroud like they did in the Euros. You have Mbappe out right, Dembele out left. The only part of that is then the three midfielders of Kante, Pogba, and maybe Matuidi, you're going to have to leave out one of them. But if, I, if I'm Deschamps, if you play... Kante and Pogba in the holding roles, Dembele, Mbappe outright, Griezmann behind Giroud. It provides the perfect balance of attack and defense with Pogba and Kante playing in the double pivot. We know Deschamps likes to use Giroud uh, on the international level. He's been very successful for his club. But the French faithful don't like Giroud all that much. And I think on a world stage, do you think they'd rather see somebody else up front besides Giroud, somebody maybe a little bit more flashy? Well, I think... If you don't play Giroud at the nine role, I think that involves then at that point you're moving Griezmann up to play kind of a false nine role in, in that moment, and then you're inserting Matuidi into the midfield to have a three-man midfield. So it, I think it's something that might almost have to be a trial-by-fire kind of deal, kind of like how they see what happens in the first game, because France won't have any easy games in the group stage. Australia's going to be a team that will sit back, defend, and then against Peru and Denmark, Peru and Denmark, those are going to be teams that will defend, but they have the talent to mm. go and attack France whenever mm. they they're in possession of the ball. Okay. They're no slouches either. So it'll be kind of a, kind of an ebb and flow because France sometimes play with a really good flow, and then sometimes they play. You even saw in the recent friendly against the U.S. They just kind of get stuck in a little bit and can't get much going. Just last touch on the Giroud on the Giroud point. I think in the Euros you had maybe a little bit less players on the bench that if you left off Giroud, uh, people wouldn't be as surprised. Uh, you had behind him, I think, I think Gignac, who just came on against Portugal in the final. Mm-hmm. But this time, you have you have a lot more creative midfielders and a lot more attacking players that can, in some formation, you know, maybe be successful. Like Thomas Lemar, Nabil Fekir has really come mm-hmm. on for Leon recently. Florentin Tovan, another one. Uh, the only piece of the puzzle that I think is really important for France to solve is their back line. Uh, I think that the injury to Lauren Koscielny is going to be huge, uh, even though the you the cen- the center backs are pretty straight though with Umtiti and Varane. I feel like that's a very very solid uh, backline pairing. It's the full backs that will be interesting to see. Lucas Hernandez played well in the USA uh, friendly, as did um, Pavard. So if I'm Deschamps, just off recent form, I play Lucas Hernandez and Pavard, hope, hoping that they'll kind of give me what I would have had with. Um, Mendy, they give Mendy a chance, but again, he's coming off that ACL injury and then hoping that the midfield players and attacking players can kind of make up for what's lacking in the fullback positions. I agreed. And, and just to round up our top five, I, I want to talk about Belgium. You have Belgium. I have Argentina. Oh, well, Belgium, Belgium for me are the dark horses in this tournament. Uh, the perennial dark horses. Very similar role to the one they had in 2014, but I think a lot of their players have gained winning experiences then if you look at Eden especially Hazard, in the Premier League if you look at Eden Hazard especially he's won he's won a Premier League title since the last World Cup he's really come into a player of his own that he can just take anybody on at some moments and he really looks just so unstoppable in some moments and you can tell when it's on that I think he really does have the opportunity to change this tournament in a very big way for Belgium and especially because Belgium have a lot of creative players that can pass move pass move shoot finish De Bruyne Mertens Lukaku is no slouch and build-up play. Again, Hazard. Even you have guys out on the wings like Moyne and Carrasco who can go up and play and 
move up into those attacking positions and even help in defense because Mar- Roberto Martinez has been uh, floating around with the three three man back line because of a lack of fullbacks. So you'll have um, Alderweireld, Vertonghen uh, holding down that those uh, center back positions kind of guided in front by uh, Axel Witzel. They didn't take Raja Nainggolan, so we'll see who kind of plays in that other holding role. But then they'll have Carrasco and Moyne kind of bombing down the flanks. And that, I think that would be important for Belgium because they'll have Mer- Mertens and Hazard are more than capable of drifting out into wide positions. But you kind of want to have those four players, Lukaku, Mertens, uh, De Bruyne, and Hazard kind of patrolling the center attacking um, areas and have Carrasco and Moigny th- there on the wide and the width to whip and crosses for Lukaku. So if we go group by group, uh, starting with Group A, uh, Uruguay, Egypt, Russia, and Saudi Arabia. I think I think we both can agree that Uruguay and Egypt will be the ones coming out of that group. I have well, the big thing there is Salah's injury. I'm not. I've seen kind of stuff where like Salah says he's going to play, but I, th- I I just don't think that shoulder is 100 percent yet, and Salah. In qualifying for Egypt, accounted for 71% of their goals. So without a healthy Salah, I think it's going to be tough for Egypt, especially being in the that big the big game in this group is going to be Russia versus Egypt. And I just think Russia being the host nation, I think they can get a draw out of that at the very least. And, and then a guy to watch in Group A, Alexander Golovin, the center mid from CSK Moscow, kind of he's the one attacking talent other than Alan Sagoyev and Russia that, that can make the difference. And then there's only been one time in past World Cup history where the home host nation doesn't make it out of the group, being South South Africa. I think Russia's a little bit more South more talented than that South Africa team. So I think Egypt, it's going to be tough to to see because you obviously you want to see Salah in the knockout rounds. But I think Russia, just by being virtue of the host nation, they get that second spot behind Uruguay. So we actually don't agree on Group A. No, uh, that's, that's that's good to see then. Uh, if we move on to Group B, uh, Spain, Portugal. Morocco and Iran. Take a wild guess at which two. I think this is one of the most straightforward groups in uh in in the competition. Um, but I, I think a team that we haven't talked about, uh, Portugal so far. Where do you see them going in this tournament? I think getting out of the group stages as much as they'll do because we're both assuming Uruguay will win Group A, and I'm gonna assume Spain wins Group B, which would give Uruguay and Portugal a day in the round of 16. And I think this Uruguay team reminds me a lot of that 2010 team that made it to the, all the way to the semifinals. I think this Uruguay team, in my opinion, is the dark horse in this World Cup because Fernando Musler is an experienced goalkeeper, quality. That back line, anchored by Diego Godin and Jose Maria Jimenez, the the Atletico uh, back line pairing. So they understand each other, playing with each other for a while. Up in midfield, they have young, dynamic players, Rodrigo Betancourt, uh, Georgian Darascaeta, uh, Ureta Vizcaya, um, Vecino. Lucas Torreira, another Lu- one. Lucas Torreira. Who, Uruguay who, have a lot of good young players in midfield. And then obviously you have a, about as good of a strike striker pairing as anyone in this World Cup, Luis Suarez and Edinson Cavani, who, which you know they're going to bag goals, especially Cavani. He used to be a little bit more wasteful, but he's become way better yeah. uh, these last two yeah. seasons at Paris Saint-Germain. So I think those two playing off each other. In Uruguay, they always play with that, the Garra Charrua, which is that grit on the field, which makes it t- tough for teams to break them down. Portugal is kind of that, kind of like that, but I think a little bit less talented overall. Obviously, they have Cristiano Ronaldo, and the way they, they, the way they won the Euros was very Uruguay-like. But I don't think you out-Uruguay Uruguay with the less talented version of Uruguay. So I think Portugal sees their tournament end in the round of 16. And I think it'll be... 
kind of sad considering it'll be Cristiano Ronaldo's last World Cup. A lot, a lot of the even if it's not his last World Cup, it's his last World Cup at the peak of his powers. Yeah, but I, I'm gonna have to agree. I I don't see Portugal getting past farther than the group stage. Like I said, they have some they have some good players. Um, Bernardo Silva, obviously the one that coming to mind. But I just think Uruguay just have more talent and. They've shown that they're consistent World Cup performers. Group C, then. Uh, we have France, Denmark, Peru, and Australia. I think France topped the group, my opinion, second most talented team in this tournament after Spain. I have Peru coming in second over Denmark. I know a lot of people will fancy Denmark qualifying from UEFA qualification. Christian Eriksen, the star man, pulling the strings from the number 10 role. Some other decent players like Casper Dolberg, um, Pionesisto, the guy from Certa Vigo. But I think Peru, they they seem almost like a team of destiny to me. They played what they did well in South American qualification, which in my opinion is the strongest one, qualifying in fifth. They kind of got gifted that position by Ospina's uh, own goal. But they have, again, some very talented players, Flores, uh, Farfan, uh, Cristian Cueva, and then obviously getting their star man, their captain, their striker, um, Paulo Guerrero back for this tournament, I think is a huge emotional lift for them. And I think Ricardo Gareca is one of the best and most underrated managers in world football. So I think he'll be good enough. I'd have Peru beating Denmark and beating Australia, losing to France, but those six points will be enough to get them second place. No, and I, and I agree heavily with a lot of the points you made there. I would not be surprised if Peru can make it out of this group, even though I have them in third behind Denmark. Denmark, they seem to me a little too Christian Eriksen dependent all the time. But I think with the way he's been playing so far, I think he just might get them through. And I think he might just get them a point against France too. I mean, if Christian Eriksen is the reason that Denmark gets them to the group stage, uh, past the group stage, you have to start looking at him as a potential golden ball winner if they can pull off an upset even in the round 16, making it to the quarterfinals and stuff. So he'll definitely be a person to watch. So we move on to Group D. I've termed this one this year's Group of Death. I completely agree. Uh, with Argentina, I have Croatia coming in second. Nigeria, who will be one of the most exciting teams to watch this year. Uh, unfortunately, I don't. I just don't think they have enough talent or experience to make it anywhere farther than the third well, place it, in their group stage. If it was based off of jerseys, they'd be going all the way to the semi. I think Nigeria have had one of the most sold World Cup kits for this cycle, which is crazy because they're not like one of the super big popular European or South American teams. But like you said, they, they have a lot of um, good pieces, mix of old with young, older names like John B. Mikel, Victor Moses. But then you also have younger guys like Alex Awobi. But unfortunately, I agree with you. Argentina coming in one, I think Lionel Messi, um, he has some attacking talent around him. That defense, eesh, that, that defense for Argentina worries me. And it'll, Especially once they get to the quarterfinals, as much as I, I would like to see Messi take them all the way, I just think his defense lets him down at the later stages. But for the group stage, I think they, they'll have enough to break down a sturdy Iceland team. I think the experience puts Argentina on top over Nigeria, and I think Croatia's midfield will be the reason Croatia can nag, nab that second spot. That midfield is loaded. Perisic, Rakitic, Modric, Kovacic, all the itches. Um, <laughs> I think I think clearly that is one of the most complete midfields in this tournament. That mm-hmm. midfield has power, pace, skill, and I think they are going to give not only Argentina a fight, 
but they're going to give whoever they meet in the group stage a very good fight. In, as in well. the knockout stage, yeah, no, I completely agree because I think it would end up being France that they would play in the round of sixteen. If France has to play Croatia in the round of sixteen, that's not a cakewalk for France at all, especially at playing all. that midfield. That midfield of Rakitic and Modric is just as com- comparable to Conte and Pogba for France. Completely agree, and I think they have as well a lot of experienced players that just know how to win games at a at the highest level of European football. And when you have that coming into a tournament like this, especially in a in a group where you have a, an inexperienced team like Nigeria, another inexperienced team like Iceland, I think that'll pay huge dividends in the group stage. I completely agree. So we move on to Group E, mm-hmm. um, where I have my champions, Brazil, coming in first in that group, followed by a very good and gritty Switzerland team, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Serbia is going to miss out, in, and, and Costa Rica uh, is going to finish fourth in that group, which, in my opinion, this might be another one of the most toughest groups in the, in the tournament. I think I'm nervous because I feel like I might be sleeping on Serbia because Serbia has some, uh, again, every team in this World Cup has good players, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but just to highlight uh, Serbia's good players, Ser- Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, the guy from Napoli, Alexander Mitrovic. So they have pieces that can make the difference in in certain games. I have Brazil coming in first, and like you have a Greece-Switzerland team that kind of just always seem... They're not a team that will ever go far in a tournament, but they know how to play knockout phase games. Remember, they beat Spain in 2010 in the very first game. They seem to perform well in these international tournaments in the group stages, and Jordan Shakiri, I don't know what happens to him at Club O, but when he plays for Switzerland, he's another guy. If you remember his bicycle kick goal in the Euros, he just kind of has that game-breaking ability. So I think Switzerland finished ahead of Costa Rica, who had that magical run in 2014. Um, Keiro Navas can keep them in any game. Keiro Navas, one of the best goalkeepers in the world at the moment, on super good form from the way he played for Real Madrid. But yeah, I have Brazil and Switzerland moving on from this group. So what do you think about Group F, Jonathan? Group F, I have Germany, and Mexico is just that team that I feel like they can be in any sort of group of death. Huge question mark. But they always seem to somehow make it out of the group stage. They can never get past the round of 16, but they always seem to make it out of the group stage. I think with Juan Carlos Osorio, he likes to tinker a lot with that squad, but again, he has some solid players to work with. Um, Irving Atruki Lozano will in my opinion, be one of the breakout players of this World Cup. Uh, excellent season at PSV. Um, good, talented, quick on his feet, out on the left wing, can break down defenses. And I think that's something that Sweden doesn't have. And I think South Korea are very reliant on Hungman's son. So I have them. I have Korea coming in last. Sweden, I know they qualified without Zlatan, but I still feel like it's a huge mistake not bringing Zlatan because Zlatan gives you kind of that world-class player that is always needed at times when things aren't working for you. Who's a guy that you can just give the ball and say, make a moment of magic happen? Zlatan is that type of guy, and without him, I don't see any kind of guy on Sweden like that. They have Emil Forsberg, who had a really good season for RB Leipzig, but I don't think he's at that same level of Zlatan to a guy that can make a difference in a World Cup. And even if Zlatan wasn't fit enough uh, to maybe start at the World Cup, just having him on the bench... Gives that opposing team that fear factor. The the USA uh, Women's and the Women's World Cup. Abby Wambach wasn't starting, but she she kind of played that role where she'd come in last 20, 30 minutes, provide that that lead. It's not just the ability on the field. It's that leadership. ability as well. Zlatan, he gives defenses something different to handle it. They really just don't have it any of their other forwards with that physical presence. He can he can hold the ball up and savvy. They're 
there aren't many footballers that have the same football IQ as Zlatan, and I think that's something that Sweden might end up regretting. Move on to Group G now, uh, where I have Belgium coming in first over the English, who will come in second. Uh, an unlucky Panama team will come in third, and Tunisia will come in fourth. A little bit of a disagreement here. I think, so, England's kind of like that team we all kind of like, like to rag on. It's like, oh, England are always overrated. I think this year they might actually be underrated. I like the formation that I think they've been very sturdy on, under Gareth Southgate with that three-man back line. I like that they, they've moved Kyle Walker into one of those center back positions and they have Kieran Trippier and Danny Rose out wide. I think that's excellent because those are guys who won't ignore their defensive responsibilities but who can also bomb forward and put in crosses for Harry Kane, one of the best strikers in the world. And then they have good they have a good blend in that midfield. You have Eric Dyer kind of sitting and shielding in front of that uh, back three, while in front of him you have kind of Dele Ali, Raheem Sterling, Jesse Lingard can come in and kind of be creative presences behind Harry Kane and link up play. So I think England are very, they have a lot of depth and are just very sturdy. They have good good pieces at every single line of the pitch, and I think they'll be able to break down Belgium on the counter attack. I think Belgium are going to be pushing on England. And I think England's back line, especially with their ability to play out from the back and launch quick counterattacks, John Stones especially, under Pep Guardiola at Man City, he's had a lot of experience and a lot of practice playing out from the back. And that's important because England have the pace to be able to attack a slower Belgium back line. And I agree that England is a very deep team this year because they've had a lot of players that have been able to just gain experience, confidence. You talk about Jesse Lingard, Dele Ali. I forgot to mention Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford will be in there. Eric Dyer for Tottenham. But my only question mark is, who's going to be that guy? And I know everyone expects it to be Harry Kane. But Harry Kane can't lift this team by himself. And I think he needs other players to, tip it, to chip in with goals, to chip in with assists. I think that's going to be Raheem Sterling. Raheem Sterling had a breakout season at Manchester City this year. Um, really improved on, not even his finishing, because his finishing problem still persists, but it's consistently getting himself into positions and getting so many chances that just the math works out to where eventually they're going to fall in. And even if he's not scoring, he's gotten a lot better of playing that pass, getting the assists, playing just smarter. Again, the finishing problems are still there, but Raheem Sterling has become a smarter player, and I think that that will be very beneficial to an England team that doesn't play with a natural 10, so they kind of need creative influences from two or three players such as Sterling and possibly even Dele Alli. I think the biggest thing that Gareth Southgate has to do is figure out his best lineup in the group stage. Because while this team is so deep, I think they really get a lot of issues because they just don't have a certain identity yet. Because they haven't been able to go deep into that tournament. Sometimes they don't know if they want to play possession-based. Sometimes they don't know if they want to be more direct. Sometimes they don't want to know if they want to sit back and counter. I, I agree with you. It'll be something that he'll have to figure out. In my opinion, they're best suited to play the sit-back counterattack at pace because Harry Kane is more than capable of that and then the pace of Dele Alli, Raheem Sterling, Marcus Rashford are things that can cause problems for a lot of teams. I think it'll help them having Belgium in that group too. A good solid world-class opponent in the group stage where because they should be able to beat Panama and Tunisia so it kind of puts less, less pressure on them to have to win that game and just kind of see where they're at before they actually head into the knockout phase. So we move on to group H and here I have Colombia coming in first with Poland finishing second. Definitely the most even group in my opinion of the of the four. I could theoretically see any of these four teams advancing. Full disclosure, I'm Colombian. I have Colombia going to the quarterfinals. I like this Colombia team. I think they're better than the 2014 team 
2014 made it to the quarterfinals with no Radamel Farcao. Farcao tearing his ACL just months before that World Cup. I think James Rodriguez, this version of James Rodriguez is more experienced and more groomed than that old one. James really came out in the scene to non-Columbians in that 2014 World Cup. The passing he had at Bayern was fantastic. I think he's he's just a better overall player now. And he has the pieces around him. Cuadrado outright. Mateo Suribe that plays at America in Mexico. He's a solid um, kind of newcomer within the last year to the Colombian national team. You have um, other attacking talents like Muriel and Baca. And then that back line for Colombia. They, lost their, they just lost their starting left back, Frank Fabra, who ruptured his ACL in training. But that center back pairing of Davinson Sanchez from Tottenham and Jerry Mina from Barcelona... They're each about 6'3", big, strong, and fast. And you won't find many better center-back pairings in this World Cup than Mina and Sanchez. Ospina plays really well in goal for Colombia. So I think they're the class of the group. And then Poland with Robert Lewandowski. Lewandowski bagging most of their goals in qualifying. They have other good, exciting players like Arkadiusz Milik, um, Pietro Zielinski, the uh, Napoli pairing. So I think Poland's class, having that experience playing in UEFA qualifying will put them past a dangerous Senegal team spearheaded by Sadio Mane. It'll be interesting to see if James Rodriguez can can replicate his great 2014 World Cup because he was so good. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned, he Scor- w- scored a goal in every single game of that tournament that he played in. He he just rose to non-Colombians because I know Colombians, even before that, Colombians knew who he was. Mm-hmm. But to non-Colombians, he really used that World Cup to not only get a contract with Madrid, but to rise... In the heads of, of everybody. To really Spain. become a global megastar. And can he score? Can he win? Can he score six goals again? Can he win the golden boot? Well, he was Colombia's leading scorer in World Cup qualifying. So he definitely still is the center of attention of Co- Colombia. They'll, they'll funnel the ball through him. The two pivot midfielders will be looking to feed James. James will kind of drift. He, ha- he has a light. Peckerman, Jose Nestor Peckerman, who's the Colombia manager, kind of gives him a license to kind of roam the field. He's your classic South American number 10 who will just roam the entire third, the middle third of the pitch, drop back into deep positions, pick it up, and then look to either play the long ball for the counterattack or move the ball up himself for combination play and possession play. So James is still the center of attention in terms of the Colombian attack. And just by having the ball so often in his feet and from him having the experience of playing on a s- two two super talented teams like Madrid and Bayern, I think he's that world-class talent that kind of Colombia looks to feed and he'll have a lot of opportunities to score. For U.S. soccer fans, it might be an interesting World Cup. Just because... R.I.P. Yeah. Yeah. But who who should U.S. soccer fans be rooting for in this tournament? Well, the league most viewed here in the U.S. is the English Premier League. So if you're just an overall fan of the English Premier League, I say root for England because obviously that's the team made up, well, and Belgium somehow. They're both made up basically of all Premier League players. Now, Belgium, um, Belgium if you remember, knocked the U.S.A. out in the yeah. 2014 World Cup. So I don't think too many people will want to be rooting for them this time around. I feel like a lot of people here in the country are big England fans. Obviously, the U.S.'s history with England and everything, speaking the same language. kind of rela- Again, since we watch the Premier League so much, it's kind of easy to relate to those players because we see them all the time. Um, apart from that, it's kind of just like if you have a favorite player. Um, obviously, people are big Messi and Ronaldo fans, the two biggest stars on the planet right now, so Portugal and Argentina. Uh, apart from that, it really comes down to, to what you like to watch in soccer. If you want... Uh, a favorite, I compare Germany to the Patriots. They're always in the mix, kind of machine-like. If that's like your type of team, 
cheer for Germany. If you like the flair, if you like kind of like the, well, in Portuguese, it's Jogo Bonito, kind of like beautiful play. Brazil, they had that pedigree as well. If you want the underdogs, you have teams like Croatia, Uruguay, Colombia. I'm sure there will be a lot of people rooting for Nigeria just because they've already bought the kit. If if you're into teams because of the jerseys, I'd say the best jerseys are, are the best jerseys I've seen. Nigeria, I really like Colombia's both of them. The the green Germany one is really nice. The France blue ones are pretty sick. Um, and honestly, the Spain red ones are really nice. I like what Adidas has done going with the retro looks for these. Uh, for this World Cup, so a lot of teams will be decked out in pretty nice jerseys. Even Croatia, the classic checkerboard pattern. But as a as a country, besides looking at your favorite players, besides looking past the, the jerseys and all of the nice stuff that comes with the tournament, do we have an obligation as a country to maybe get behind a Mexico or a Peru who's in the same co- uh, continent as us, haven't enjoyed much of the success on the national level, should we get behind some of these teams just because, you know, the U.S. isn't in it? Or will a lot of people looking at this tournament and saying, well, the U.S. isn't in it, so I don't want to root for anybody else? Yeah, I think that's what you'll get because in in this country, so Fox Sports has been pushing a lot for they'll be home of Veltri in English language. And I think that's a smart move because obviously you have a lot of Mexican-Americans in this country that will be pulling hard for Mexico. I think someone... There's two ways to look at this. You can either cheer for your neighbors, something I can respect. I just think that someone who's a diehard U.S. soccer fan will have trouble cheering for someone who is their rival. It's almost like in college football. If someone's a Florida fan, it's going to be really hard for them to root for Florida State in anything. It just Or an, even another SEC team like Georgia. It's going to be really hard for them to cheer for Georgia for something. So I think that's the same situation that applies here. So I think it'll just be a kind of deal where people will fall upon other um, non-geographical reasons in the way they pick their, their team to watch. Well, I mean, it, it isn't all bad news for the USA these days. It came out yesterday that the 2026 World Cup will be hosted in the USA. And I think the time frame gives U.S. soccer fans a, a long time to prepare for that. It gives the U.S. a great opportunity to really do a great job in that. And that that's why I think it's big that they've been playing kind of like these young guys and these friendlies and stuff like that. If we project in eight years, Christian Pulisic... You're looking at Christian Pulisic probably being the best player on the team, if he's not already, probably being the captain in that number 10 role. Christian Pulisic will be 27 years old. He'll be in the prime of his career. And you'll have other other youngsters that are playing right now, kind of like if they, if they keep them all together grooming up, the U.S. could be really dangerous as a host nation in that World Cup. Guys like Timothy Weah, Zach Steffen, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Tim Parker, Weston McKinney, Bobby Wood. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, they have good, bright young talents and if so i think the focus for the u.s is obviously you want to qualify for 2022 but the key is the developmental stages at every year just develop a little bit more a little bit more a little bit more so you can field a competitive team in 2026 and i think developing these same group of players is so huge because there's been a massive argument lately whether the u.s is not being able to qualify for this world cup whether it's been a problem with the u.s system for acquiring talent, whether it's been an issue with just the current crop of players and their coaches. So getting a good blend of that development of players and a better infrastructure, which will already be helped by the fact that we're getting this World Cup in 2026, I I agree with you in that the U.S., if they play their cards right, could be a, a very dangerous host nation and a very great sight to see 
if they if they pull it off correctly. Imagine if we got a USA Mexico final in 2026. I don't see it happening, but I do see Mexico and the US if fielding if they field legitimate teams that we could get some surprises from those two teams. Well, everyone, this has been the debut episode of Spill the Cup. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and give me a follow on Twitter at the Edgar Chavero. And I'm at John Acosta underscore 10. We hope to be seeing some World Cup action today with Saudi Arabia and Russia kicking off at 11 a.m. Once again, I'm Edgar Chavero signing off. And I'm Jonathan Acosta. Thanks for taking a listen. Tweet us any thoughts you have while you're watching the games. See you next week.